women veterans finding success after service. Successful inclusion efforts ensure that all groups, regardless of demographic differences, are acknowledged, welcomed, and respected in the workplace. Veterans represent a large community of often untapped talent. According to a recent Military.com article, women veterans are more likely to struggle with their identity when they transition to civilian service than men. Finding success after service can be filled with challenges and struggles. Employers can work to create a community that supports success after service for transitioning veterans. In the words of U.S. veteran and Senator Tammy Duckworth, we owe it to all our veterans to make sure they have a chance to achieve the American dream, just like the rest of us. Welcome to the Diversity Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Audra Jenkins, joined by members of my Bronxite Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Already crew, Daniel Hughes and Courtney Brazier-Barrett. Today, we're speaking to Brigitte McCoy, an impactful and accomplished philanthropist, nonprofit leader, life coach, podcaster, and author advocating for veterans, women, sexual assault survivors, disabled workers, equality, and doing so with the intersectional tech-enabled flair. Her thought leadership and community building has earned her media appearances on shows including The Daily Show, MSNBC, and NBC the Today Show, and NPR News. She's a Gulf War-era service-connected disabled veteran who held top-secret clearance during her military career. In 2009, she founded the Women Veterans Social Justice Network, an award-winning all-volunteer online 501c3 platform focusing on social impact, supporting and honoring women of military service, and equipping future leaders in philanthropy, entrepreneurship, civic community engagement, and personal economic expansion. She's earned a Bachelor's of Science degree in Psychology from the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, and as a John Maxwell Certified Life Coach. Welcome, Bridgette. Thank you so much, everyone, for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. We're so excited to have you and definitely hear about your journey and get some great expertise from you. So, Bridgette, thank you again for your service. You know, first and foremost, I think that's important. We don't recognize the sacrifice of not only of our brave men and women, but also the sacrifice of their families oh, yes. for those who serve. So thank you for that. So when did you find your own voice in your career? You know, what advice do you have for women that, especially women veterans, are on finding their own voice? I think the first part of finding your own voice has to do with locating your identity, who you are, what you want to stand for at this the current time that you're working, but then also what you're wanting to stand for in the future. And so it's a progressive, iterative process. So it doesn't just get established and then later it's the same. It changes constantly because in my coaching, I tell people you have the opportunity to change who you are that when you open your eyes every morning, you can make the decision every single morning that I want to bring something new to the table and not have to say, well, I'm stuck with doing what I did yesterday. So I think that for a women veteran, I think we even have more tools in our toolkit to be able to do that because we do have the military training We do have the ability to be flexible. We know how to work within multiple spheres of influence and also in multiple spaces. And so I think for some, it gives too many options. But even with that, you can still whittle down, you know, what it is, you know, who I am and what I want to do and what I want to leave in the future for the next generation. So I think each person has to decide very early in the transition to leave the identity of the military behind and 
securely move into the civilian sector from the perspective of having a veteran status and not being specifically an identity of veteran. And so there's some, we may get in more into that as we talk, but there's a specific reason why I suggest that that's important. I love that. I love the idea that we have that option every day. Like every day brings new opportunities. I love that. Thank you for that. That's very insightful. I love that. One aspect of being a strong woman and finding and sharing your voice, you know, I think that, you know, the military teaches you, you know, about strong leadership skills. What's the best skill you gain in your military service that served you well after you left service? I think capturing and transferring knowledge and skills and abilities in multiple spheres was one of the areas. I think from the perspective of vision, if I can start there, having a vision and being able to understand what that vision is and then transfer that vision to others, I think that was one of the key elements because that's important when you're transitioning as well because you have to know what it is you want to do, where you want to go, how you want to go, and then to employ others to help you to have sponsors and mentors and other leaders to help advise you in that process. So you have to have a vision to be able to do that. And so most leaders, successful leaders, have a vision and they're able to, you know, get other people on board. And so a part of transition, as far as I'm concerned, that military experience having vision helps that transition. And so I think if I go back to that first question, I say that sometimes the challenge for our women veteran is not having a vision of who they are can impede them from moving forward with their transition into the civilian sector. I see you kind of talked about some of the struggles as far as like not having a vision that some women veterans may face. What other struggles do you think that women veterans may face when they are um, transitioning to civilian service? I personally, with the thousands of women that I've come into contact over the years, it seems that not accepting their veteran status. Mm. There's a lot of money left on the table when you don't accept your veteran status. And so when you start talking about employment and transitioning, all of those things, you know, cost money. It costs money to be prepared to go to work. You have to have clothes. You have to have the right appearance, all of these other things, you know, gas and, and transportation. And so if you're already at a negative in your financial status, and then we all recognize that there's a wage gap, and so those things are already impacting, you can help make up for that wage gap through applying for your benefits, utilizing your st- the veteran status. And so there's discounts at stores. There's a discount for different services because you're a veteran. Sometimes they offer you programs and services on a scholarship because you're a veteran. And so I feel like we're not maximizing that benefit because a lot of women will say, I didn't recognize that I was a veteran. I thought that I had to have served in combat. I thought I had to serve overseas. I, they have all this long litany of reasons why they perceive that they're not a veteran. And so... I think that that can be one of the a main area, as well as not having vision. Oh, that's really eye-opening. I never knew that women veterans felt that way, that you, know, you had to be in combat or anything like that to be recognized. So that is very eye-opening. It's a myth. Um, it's a common myth in the veteran community because some of the older male veterans will say, you didn't serve in combat. And so when they say, oh, I'm a veteran, they well, you didn't serve in combat. And so then they'll say, oh, and not challenge it. More of our post-9-11 veteran women and our Gulf War veteran women will challenge it because they 
have served in combat. And so that's where we started to see the dysfunction in the conversation was when I had younger women who were coming back and they're saying, these guys are saying we're not veteran. And the older women wouldn't say it. They wouldn't say it. And they say, well, yeah, they've always said that to us. And I'd say, wow, this is an area that's an uncovered, you know, that we've uncovered that's a problem. We need to educate our male veterans. World War II, Korean War, all of them that women served, they are veteran, and it's not just nurses, that it's women served in multiple capacities across multiple sectors within the military during wartime and peacetime. So we're all veteran. Wow, thank you. I was I was actually going to ask, like, you know, how is that within the military? Um, so that's extremely eye-opening. Um, and happy that we have you here to kind of help to change those viewpoints or stereotypes. Yes. Just switching gears slightly a little bit, as women, I know that we are often told not to be too direct or not to speak up for ourselves or to be too aggressive because we don't want to be labeled as having a tone or be difficult or overpassionate. What advice do you have for women who want to work and walk in their power without fear of being labeled or stereotyped? So that's another major challenge for women who've served. What happened is that we went into the military. We were trained by men. We were trained to be, you know, direct, answer questions, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, just certain, whatever their, their title was, and to bring information and resources, like, in an immediate sense. It wasn't, you know, a roundabout way. Everything was very direct, and, and that was a necessity. And so when we get out of the military, one of the bigger challenges is coming into a workspace where you have been in the military 10, 15 years, and so everything is direct to the point you know, no kind of like, well, how's your day and what's going on? And, you know, how are the children? It's like, okay, I need this document or whatever. And so then it creates this kind of friction in the workspace for women veteran because people perceive them as not being team players or not being people who fit the culture. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the feedback that I get from corporations is that they are feeling like, you know, there's a disconnect because they're like, well, they're ready, they're trained, they interviewed well, but now when they're in the space, they're not, they're not meeting the culture. So I feel like we've got to figure a way to educate women so that when they are speaking, they're speaking in their own strength. They're learning how to communicate from a civilian business sector Space so that there is a little softness, more a little bit more softness there, but not really worrying about how they are perceived as much as what their messaging is. Mm. And so I think that that's where sometimes we get kind of sidetracked because, you know, people are going to call you what you're going to call you, whether you're doing a great job or whether you're doing a poor job, depending on what their perception is. And so you can't let that sidetrack you. At the same time, we do have to work together and have a cohesive work environment. It's good to work on interpersonal skills. And that's something, again, as a coach, I work with people directly, how to work and navigate within the workforce or with their managers or with you know other folks in their community or whatever they're trying to do so that they have a better communication style that fits more for the civilian sector. Because when we get together as military, we just say what we got to say, but... In other settings, we have to, you know, kind of soften it, it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Tone it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Take out a little bit of the dark humor and all of those things. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Fantastic. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Being direct can be, seem like it's uh, being aggressive, yes. you know, a lot of times. Yes. So, Brigitte, thank you for all the work that you've done to highlight the challenges of veterans, especially women veterans. And as a veteran, I'm passionate about connecting veterans to job opportunities. How do you use your platform to educate potential employers about the value that veterans bring to an organization? That's like 
from day one, I've said that women veteran are our greatest, most untapped resource. I feel that the civilian sector sometimes when they say veteran, they are looking for a certain type of person. It usually isn't a woman. It usually isn't a woman who looks like me. And so I try to present to them a spectrum of what a woman veteran looks like through the different media projects that we've done. We just did um, the I Am Not Invisible media project here in Atlanta where we brought 212 women veterans to take picture and talk about their experience, but it's just a photograph of them saying what their service is and those types of things. And so we're telling, we're showing. And so if I can step back one step, Women Veterans Social Justice Network started on social media. And so we had, in 2009, so we had that platform. And so everything that we did was visual and it was storytelling and it was discussions. And so all of the work that we do is that. And so within the network, we have about 50 to 75 other networks within that network. And so anything that we share, any information, any resource that we share, goes out to everything from the media and the news to the government to film and television to educational institutions, businesses, it's vast. And so anytime we're putting any type of media project forward, we're wanting to make sure that it's representing women veteran in a, at a high standard. So a lot of that builds into supporting women getting a job because now employers are saying, oh, we didn't recognize that there were women of that background. We didn't even know that women veterans served during that time. Oh, we didn't even realize that women veterans have these skill sets. We thought that women veterans only did this. Our, our veteran women were only, again, nurses. And so by doing these various media kind of outreach, they're visual. It gives people a different picture, gives them a different snapshot. So when they're sitting in a board meeting, they're saying, I saw this, this media thing that was done with this organization, maybe we should start looking at women veteran differently. And so then the, the language begins to change, the conversation begins to change, and then of course behaviors within the organizations begin to change. And so it's a culture shift, it's an informational cultural shift, but it's visual. And that's how most of our society learns and interacts anyway. So we capitalize on that. Fantastic. So it's really about educating them on the vastness of what the veteran looks like, right? The stratification. Yes. Great. One of the programs that we are working on with Randstad, Rise Smart, and the Department of Veterans Affairs, or Veteran Affairs, is hosting smart sessions to provide transitioning veterans with career readiness training. What are some reasons that you think veterans don't take advantage of all the resources available to find employment in the civilian sector? That's a big one. And I recognize that, especially with regard to the separation in the eras. Post 9-11 veteran tend to have more access and are sought after more than our other era veterans. And so by era, I mean someone served during the Bush administration versus the Clinton administration versus the Reagan administration. All of those different administrations sit differently with the Department of the VA, Department of Defense, and a lot of the programming. And so lots of times the language in the program say post 9-11 veteran. So because I'm not a post 9-11 veteran, and though I, as you can hear me speak and talk about things, can easily sit in the C or the B suite, though most organizations will not seek seek me out. And more times than not, when I 
present to them to say, hey, I'm you know available for work or whatever, they're not as open to hiring me. Now, of course, they're not going to say it's because of my age, because of course I don't seem 50, but they're looking at based on the era, and that's their language. And so from that perspective, a lot of veteran, specifically women, we just said that they don't say that they're a veteran, so we're still trying to get them to say they're a veteran. And then if they're going to organizations and they're not being welcomed appropriately, then that's going to deter them from interacting. So from the women veteran perspective, that's one kind of bucket area. The other area, I would say, is that when you're transitioning from the military, military has over 200 years of clear path. You do these five things, you get promoted to this. You do these seven things, you get promoted to this. You, you know, complete this training. These are the things that are available to you. You don't like the job field you're in. Here's another job field. Okay. With corporate America, it's not quite as clear. And so even though the training programs are there, the path, it's like, well, why do I take this? Why would I come into this program? Where is it going to land me? And if it lands me, is it going to be a path to something greater or is it going to lock me in to just this? And a lot of times what I'm finding is that the programs are great, you know, on paper, but they really lock our veteran in. They don't give them opportunities to really expand and grow within the organization, which means you're going to have high turnover and dissatisfaction. And vets talk and we say, well, you know, I participated in that, I don't know, you know, you can go try it, but I'm not really sure if it's going to, how it's going to benefit you. So some of it's PR, some of it's press, some of it's the veteran, some of it's the path, some of it is language. And so all of those things, you know, it's a, it's a mix. And so I think that there's ways to ameliorate some of those challenges to path veteran directly in and get them excited and to be a brand ambassador for organizations. It's just going to take some tweaking. Fantastic. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It's a multifaceted challenge with getting people to take advantage of resources a lot of times they don't even know exist, right? Yeah, great, fantastic answer. So we all know that training alone does not shift behavior. But what are some tips that leaders can use to influence their, their hiring managers or their hiring teams to increase the hiring of vets? So it's going to take investing in veteran beyond the moment of seeing them at a job fair mm. or having them at you know, when you come out to some you know transition they're going to have to see that the organization is firmly committed to the advancement not just the temporary hiring of the veteran and then again once vets see that we're pretty loyal we're 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 brand loyal once we see that, then we will actively tell others and actively recruit and actively bring you know, others in. But it's going to take training and investing in veterans, specifically veteran women, to go into the CMB suite. If I can be very honest, a lot of the programs bring people in at the operational level, at the entry operational level, and many of our women veterans have way more talent and skill than that. And so if there's some type of way to invest in bringing people in, even if it's a management, we used to call them round robins, but if it's a management round robin to kind of see where there's a natural fit, 
where they can get training for their, you know, the areas where they're not as strong, but then, you know, blossom in the areas where they are strong, that's going to add value to the company. But it's also going to add value to that veteran because, again, they're going to be brand loyal. They're going to be able to go back and say, I participated in this, even if it wasn't a direct hire, I participated in this training and it was exceptional. Everybody needs to get on board. And they'll tell other companies, you need to do what Ronstadt is doing. It's all builds. It all builds. That's great. You know, and, and a big part of that, right, is about sustaining them when they're there, right? Yeah. And, and really kind of shoring up and giving them tools to stay there, succeed, right? So loyalty is a big thing. I hear that across the spectrum all the time. Every time I ask about veterans, what are you looking for? And they start talking about loyalty. They always go to veterans, you know, and what are we doing in the veteran space, you know? And so that, that question always comes back. So you kind of spoke about this before, but what led you to create the Women Veterans Social Justice Network? So my narrative is pretty out there. I am a sexual assault survivor. I've been homeless multiple times locally in Atlanta and in North Carolina. And after about five or six years of just like struggling, I felt like, you know, I needed to be connected. I didn't necessarily know what that meant, but there was this thing called Facebook. And I was a little bit older than the typical Facebooker, but I'm a gamer. So I was like, they have games. I'll go on, I'll play games. I'll get in the community. And part of the thing that I found out when I started gaming was that I was running into a lot of women veterans who were also gamers. And I thought, wow, maybe I'll use this as a way to connect some women veterans to get together. And so I created a group. And from that group, we started helping each other to apply for benefits, begin to connect each other across the country, and then really just sure up and support each other. Then I became a subject matter expert. I don't know how all that actually happen but I because I read a lot and all of those things and so it became necessary to professionalize it that was really the process I always joke that people kind of pushed me out in front and taped a cape on me and said you know there's a superhero she's going to help everyone and I you know and I I'm always trying to connect each veteran back to each other because it's not just about me. It's about us being connected to one another. We have male veterans who work with us and participate and have been very helpful. But initially, the only thing that I wanted to do was to connect with my sister veteran and play games online. And so that seems like a great place to start. Great insights, powerful insights, Bridget. I'm really excited to hear. I love the idea of sisterhood and community and connecting with your other fellow veterans. One of the things I'm really curious about is, as a sexual assault survivor in the military, how did you move from victim to survivor to overcomer? You know, there's like three phases of that, dealing with the tragedy of what happened to you. So... I never had heard of military sexual trauma until 2006 or seven, And it was only in relation to, I was working to put together a workforce program within a, a homeless veteran program. I was trying to build something on a faith-based kind of focus. And so I think one of the, when I was doing my research, one of the women I was talking to um, used the term military sexual trauma and asked me, you know, what my experience was in the military had, you know, and I was kind of like, I don't even know what she's talking about. And then when she went further, I said, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to get off the phone with her because one, I had never spoken anything about that. And then two, she was a stranger 
she was a woman veteran, but she was a stranger to me. So I think that was like the first time that I really like was hit with it. And so fast forward to about 2009, around the time I started the organization, again, I was online, I'd met all these people and every story was either some type of harassment, some type of bad situation that, you know, people covered up. And I said, wow, we need to do something about it. And an opportunity came for me to do a VA outreach, again, media, saying, you know, make the connection. Perfect. Sounds like great language to me. I'm going to go make the connection and tell people my narrative. And so I think that that was the first step for me moving out of being a victim. Because, again, when the woman spoke to me, I'm thinking like, oh, I don't want anybody to know this because then they're going to think, these, this list of things and then moving then to being willing to <clears throat> utilize my narrative to help move people other people forward but also myself and then I think probably by 2013 when I testified before Senate they were asking me questions and I just remember them saying the word victim and I was like I'm not a victim I'm a survivor of sexual assault and I addressed each news media <clears throat> outreach and said I won't come on and do an interview unless you specifically use the word survivor. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that was that next step. And then once I was nationally recognized for the work that I was doing with women veteran, you know, trauma informed, the outreach stuff and all of that, I think, and, and people started feeling, you know, coming to me and saying, you know, help me build an organization to support women veteran. I think that that was the part where I really begin to own part of my identity as as being an overcomer. I love that. I love that you recognize the point that you, as you move through those stages, I think that's really important because some people stay in the victim yes. mentality. You know, they don't, they're not able, they're, it's almost like a prison. You're not able to move on with your life until you deal with the trauma and then until you deal with it and then get to a point where you can survive, you recognize you've survived it, you're still here. Mm -hmm. And I think your, your perpetrator keeps power over you when you remain in that victim stage. Right. Because then it's constantly controlling your life, your actions, your relationships, your, your outview of everything that you are. And I, I love the fact that you are able to re clearly recognize the point where you moved into each stage of that, you know, of that process. And that the overcomer piece, you know, as you are talking to other female veterans, how do you move them from, yes, I'm a survivor, now I'm going to be an overcomer and I'm going to help other survivors move into this next phase of their lives? So let me also <clears throat> make very clear, counseling, being an actively in counseling <clears throat> for the last 10, 12 years is a part of that process. You cannot remove some of the negative thinking, the biases, all those things. You cannot do that alone. You have to have <clears throat> some type of assistance beyond yourself and, you know, going and doing community service and things of that nature. So along with having a, a mental health provider, I also have, I call it a committee of advisors, people that are in my life who are leaders, whether in the military or not, who I confer with about different things in my life. The other area that I, I think is important I've been doing with Women Veterans Social Justice Network is we put together in 2014 a program called our Ambassadors Program, which we basically walk women through this, the process that I went through. 
you know, each one of the points of entry that I had to, you know, establish myself with the VA and go through the claims process, learn about philanthropy, figure out if I want to be an entrepreneur, if I want to go back to work, intersect with the education institutions, begin to do outreach and get out into community and meet other women veterans. And so we kind of round robin this process. But what we do is we also give women an opportunity to have small successes by creating other projects. And so if someone comes to me and say, I really want to do a yoga you know, class, and I say, well, great, sign people up, do yoga. And if they can do that and carry it all the way to the end, and then they decide at the end of it, they want to start their own organization or go after funding to you know, start a business or do a, continue to do the project with us, then we support them in that. And so we want to give women veterans an opportunity to engage at various levels of success because each step, it doesn't matter if it's just getting up every day and posting something on social media to engage other women or it's going before Congress and testifying or it's starting an organization. It's wherever they are. And so I tell people just because I'm an entrepreneur and I run a business doesn't mean that you have to want to do that. If you're a mommy and you want to be successful interpersonally, intrapersonally, raising your family, loving your husband, and taking care of your home, then let me give you the, t- the tools through this network, this integrated network, to do that. And so we plug them in with other ambassadors, and then they get the support that they need. And so we want to move people forward. And even people who aren't ambassadors come back years later and say, I've watched what you've been doing, and I followed what you did, and I've been able to do these things, or this is you know, because of what you've shown us. So. I love that. That's that's amazing. One last question. You know, when your work is done, Bridget, what legacy do you want to leave for the future women veterans? Oh, wow. So there's a, I think it's an Iroquois, uh, one of the, their sayings is about leaving a legacy for the next seven generations. And so I feel that it's important that any work that I do, that's how I look at it. Is this going to impact just this moment, or is this going to be something impactful socially and culturally for the next seven generations? And so I'm always looking at the work that I'm doing. So if it's narrative work, we want to make sure that those narratives are going to go forward. And so if some student 50 years from now wants to hear about a woman veteran, it's at the Library of Congress. They can research that. Any of our media outreach, any of our training, any of our educational programs, we want to see it impact at the Department of Labor level, at the you know Department of Defense we want to see the, the policies, the programs, the services actually having impact. And so a lot of times when I'm working with folks, they're like, you're everywhere. Like I was doing something with someone and they're like, yeah, Bridget and da da da. And they're like, I didn't even know you did this. And I'm like, yeah, we do research. We're in film and TV. We're creating music and media <laughs> so that we have to make up for the fact that women veteran have been left out of the narrative of the civilian sector for the last 200 years. We have to make up for it. And so the only way we can make up for it is to do what? Impact and bring that narrative forward in each one of those sectors. So if, like I said, 50, 100 years from now, someone says your your grandma was Bridget McCoy and she impacted my life because of these five things or whatever, then I'll I'll be happy for that. 
I love that. Wow, what a powerful thing. Legacy for seven generations. Yeah. I love that. That's And you're definitely doing that, Bridget. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been such a gift having you here today. Thank you, Courtney and Daniel from my Ready Crew for another phenomenal conversation. And big thank you to our listeners globally. I think we're in over 29 countries now, so we're really excited about that. So real diversity happens when everyone is actively engaged and working together for a positive change. Let's keep the conversation going. Please download more episodes of the Diversity Deep Dive podcast. Until next time, go out and make a positive difference in your organization or community. 